Tentacle Bot Podcast. I'm Matt. And I'm Gabe. And today we've got something a little spicy, a little bit of fun here. Um, and this is, we're actually getting real deep into that two episodes a week thing. And we're just going to jump right into it. Gabe, what are we talking about Honestly, today? before we jump right into it, every week we say we got something spicy. I just feel like that needs to be brought up. We got, some feel... little, we got something a little spicy here. Uh, we're going to go ahead and jump into it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't appreciate being called out like that. Uh, that's okay. I'm calling you out, man. <laughs> Good enough. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about the new Carnifex record. It was released September 3rd, 2021, and I totally forgot to grab the uh, the record label. It is Nuclear Blast. Thank you very much for that. Uh, Carnifex is going to be Scott Ian Lewis on vocals, Sean Cameron on drums and keyboard, Corey Arford on guitars and backing vocals, and Fred Calderon on bass. Uh, Matt, why don't you go ahead and just start us off. What's your uh, first impressions overall yeah. feeling on the album? So th- upon the initial listen is this record felt like the, the band either took a step backwards or just a, a step to the side. It just felt like it wasn't quite anything new from Carnifex based on what we had heard in the last couple of years. Um, and it, it just felt disappointing um, yeah. how about you um for me the, so yeah i went I'm on first listen it wasn't really all that impressive to me but the more i listened to it it more just reminded me of early deathcore and the music that really kind of fastened my love for metal mm-hmm. um so while the al- album isn't really an absolute favorite of mine it was still fun to listen to and is a solid effort from the band oh, I, wow. i'm not i wasn't a huge carnifex fan beforehand like i never had an issue with them they just weren't really on the forefront of my listening um but yeah i, I honestly i I don't hate the album. I don't love it, yeah. but I feel like it was still a worthy listen. Yeah, and it was a decent listen. Um, and we'll kind of jump into the musical review. Um, musically is Carnifex is very much a blackened death, blackened deathcore band. Mm-hmm. Um, just you know, if I could talk properly. Um, so just for clarification, is it's deathcore but with a lot of black metal vibes to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and musically on this record, is it felt less like a blackened deathcore album. Um, like again, like the band had been moving, uh, moving towards over the last few years. Um, the black metal is still kind of sprinkled throughout the record, but it felt a little bit more like a more pure deathcore record, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to the black and deathcore again that we've become accustomed to. Yeah, like this is absolutely a deathcore album, and there's not really any disputing that. Mm-hmm. the The band was really tight together, and overall, the al- the vibe of the album fits the deathcore tropes. The excessive use of tremolo picking, chugs, the false chord vocals, spooky vibes, everything. Like, if it's something that you associate with deathcore, it's absolutely on this record. Yeah, 100%. And lyrically, it's honestly going to be the same thing. This is absolutely deathcore lyrics, and there's no yep. really disputing that. <laughs> yeah, and so, and really, when you look under the dark imagery and references to hell, graves, and all things spoopy, is these songs are still really dark. Um, like, I would only reach song four reading through some of the lyrics and there's a lot of references to suicide and wanting to die yeah the i honestly got tired of reading the lyrics on this one because yeah. everyone just felt like edge edge lord supreme it, and it, it really did and it kind of felt like each song was almost telling the same story but just in a different method mm-hmm. um the nice thing that we do see is and we'll definitely break down a little bit further when we get to the track by track is they did include a cover of a corn song mm-hmm. um dead bodies everywhere which was on the follow the leader record 
And then we also see the songs that are the Graveside Edition. And what the band Carnifex did is they took three songs off of their first album, Dead in My Arms, and they actually re-recorded them using that more modern sound. So it still has very much the loyalties to the original, uh, but you get to see it them doing it in the more... You know, really the 2021 Carnifex sound, which Mm -hmm. I thought was kind of a neat little thing. But um, lyrically, like it was very nice how the enunciation and like the presentation of the ideas. It's just unfortunate that it was just the same idea all the way through. Mm -hmm. And it it started getting to a point where I was, you know, we've made the comment like, are you okay talking about the vocalist? But like. Dude, are you good? Like that, you know. That's this a lot of becoming what I that for me. And this is really just more like, okay, dude, we get it. You're you're cool. You're heavy. You're mm-hmm. hardcore. Like it just it really got boring because like, yeah, there there's a lot of dark imagery used in deathcore in general. Like the the way that I put it here is extreme metal really uses the lyrics as an outlet for emotion rather than the lyrics being taken at face value. And I feel like this album absolutely exemplifies that. Mm-hmm. Um, in an interview with Apple Music, Scott Lewis had stated that this album was really personal to them as a result of the pandemic and that the standard artistic insecure tropes most of the artists feel was really turned up to the to 11 on the climate of everything. Okay. Which is fine on one hand, but on the other hand, like, it, reading through the the Apple Music uh, song breakdown, it felt like every song did carry a different meaning until you look at the lyrics, and every every one of them just had something about death and death being a mistress and being something played with, and mm-hmm. it it just really felt like it just readapted the same thing to everything. Yeah. And it, yeah, no, I, I have to agree with that. And so if I didn't look at the lyrics, most of the songs, honestly, I didn't think were half bad, but looking at the lyrics, a lot of them were really rough. Yeah. And I, I think that definitely does kind of put a, put a little bit of a damper and I'm curious definitely to see what your rating is going to be once we get to that point. Oh, yeah. But before we go ahead and jump into the track by track breakdown, let's go ahead and break down the album art. Uh, so the album art on this one features the band name and logo in the upper left-hand corner and the album title in the bottom right. The image has a red-tinted sketch of a skull and a skeleton's hand holding a little, a, a smaller gray full skeleton in its palm. How are you feeling on this one, Matt? It's really simple, and it just... I guess the death part's really just, like, brought to the forefront. Like, if you look at the way the skeleton's sitting in the, the palm of the, the, red, um, mm-hmm. the red skeleton is homeboy looks sad yeah no like it, it almost looks like pouty like, yeah it, it i feel like this is a weird choice for this album mm-hmm. because it almost feels silly in a macabre sort yeah i can kind of see that and like i like the artistic style and the the sketching uh, stylistically speaking it feels like the mark was really missed on this one like it it i, I don't want to say that it feels like it's just something that they like took imagery that they like and threw it up because I don't even feel like there's a lot of imagery here. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, skulls and skeletons are death and, and spooky vibes and whatnot. Yeah. And holding this other dude who's just gives off more spooky vibes. But 
Like I, I don't feel like it really exemplifies the album no. in such a way. And it and it's so minimalist mm-hmm. when compared to a lot of the other album artworks that we've looked at from bands before is looking at it is it's really hard to break it down because there's just so little to go based off of. Um, like, you know, with the name being Graveside Confessions is like if we were looking at a picture of a cemetery, like mm-hmm. that would be a little bit more on um, on the nose, really. like Yeah, you, a little bit. Th- yeah. There's different ways that they could definitely like showcase it without like without being right so much on the nose. Mm-hmm. Like instead of just having a like a, a standard cemetery with the your standard headstone and whatnot. Like there's different ways that you can showcase that. Like a boat full of people who were lost at sea or yeah. uh, a plane crash. Things of things of that nature. But this one, I just I don't feel like I really recognize the title. Mm-hmm. Or really, kind of the overall theme of the album, other than death is death and, and cool death and death. Yeah, and I think the other thing you could kind of take from the the red skeleton, but is a very, I mean, it's kind of stretching it. Is you could almost look as like the devil holding the you know the sad skeleton, but at the same time, is like the way that it's portrayed is it's like you know based on typical devil imagery, is that just doesn't fit the bill. Mm-hmm. Um, So we're going to jump into the track by track breakdown and we're just going to run through the entirety of the record and give our thoughts, Um, you know, just again, getting real on the nose with what the track by track breakdown is. So first song. Matt, you have the knack for just saying the utter obvious. And that's what I appreciate about you. First off, we start off with Graveside Confessions. (laughs) Matt, hit me with it. Dude, from the get-go, we're we're shown this record has no intention of beating around the bush. Mm-hmm. Is we're they they just get after it. I mean, we've got double bass kicks, we got blast beats, we've got the thick chugging patterns, as well as Scott's vocal performance. Uh, bring just a force of deathcore that is very pure, uh, but again, bringing those very subtle black metal vibes that the the band has brought in before, and it just adds that little extra something to keep this song really, really nasty. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, the, the album opens up with a banger. This is probably my favorite song on the record. Okay. Um, I fell in love with the main riff pretty quickly on it, and it hits like a truck. Mm-hmm. The, the song is a bit of a change from previous albums, which I thought was kind of a, a neat add um, since... previous albums they've always opened up with like a more slow anthemic build kind of song but this one's just at 100% right at the start and it just doesn't seem to show any sign of slowing down yeah no with for sure and then one thing I did definitely note is the organ um, that's Mm -hmm. played throughout the song is definitely just an additional little piece of that black metal that uh, is again trickled throughout and it's just that nice touch the keyboards provided by Sean Cameron uh, throughout this record always very they're they're sparse but they're Mm -hmm. done in such a way that it really adds a good flavor to the album um, and kind of adds to those spooky vibes that they kind of want to provide. Yep. Yeah, it adds the spooky vibes. And then the songs don't ever feel hollow, where some songs you can sit there and listen to and it feels like something's missing from it. Like that, it just ma- kind of fills in what would potentially be dead air. And it just keeps the keeps the song feeling very whole. Definitely. Uh, then we move on to track two, which is the song Pray for Peace. Oh, look, a deathcore song, deathcoring us with deathcore. Edgy lyrics followed by deathcore instrumentals. I like the song at face value, but anything deeper than that, it just starts to annoy me. No, It's definitely a heavy song. It's a banger for the edgy dudes in the pit. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I feel like this one is really just trying to 
to be too edgy deathcore for okay. me. So the night, the thing about this one is we see a continuation from the last song and not only just heaviness, but also the energy. Uh, but this one brings a lot more of the black metal that we've come to expect. Um, Deathcore elements are very much still present, uh, but the song's instrumental, uh, Riffage playing a major part in that, feels a lot more like a black metal song as opposed to Deathcore. Um, I mean, we get the blast beats, we get the spooky organs, and then uh, Scott's vocal acrobatics really make the song, in my opinion, a solid addition mm-hmm. to the record. Um, the groovy breakdown at the end, though, is something I definitely want to make note of, because I remember I was, when, when I was doing my deeper dive into this, is that breakdown hit, and I'm like, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, like, instrumentally, the song is fine. Mm-hmm. I just, if I start looking into it any further than that, like, it just... I feel like every line in this song would be like what they would include on the back of one of their edgy t-shirts. Yeah. And every white suburban woman would look at it and think, oh, and hurry their kids away. But to anybody else, (laughs) would just look at it and be like, whatever, dude. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Y'all need Jesus. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Next up, we do have the song Seven Souls. Hit me with your best shot. Uh, Lyrically, this is actually a really solid song. Mm -hmm. One of the more solid ones on the album. It's dealing with the concepts of uh, mental illness, suicide, split personalities, like bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, Mm -hmm. and so on, uh, as the main concept, which was uh, confirmed by Lewis in his Apple Music interview. Um, They do get a bit genty in the song and gets kind of groovy before in like the smoldering deathcore breakdowns that are par for the course with Carnifex. Mm -hmm. Um, We see some neat black metal influences in the instrumental breaks that kind of remind me of the song Freezing Moon by Mayhem, uh, which is honestly my favorite, one of my favorite black metal songs of all time. Um, It just has this really kind of like open dissonant kind of vibe to it, especially in those uh, post-chorus breaks mm-hmm. uh, that just, it gets super nasty. How are you feeling on this one? So uh, the cool thing about the beginning is it opens up with something that could have been ripped out of a song from a, like a Halloween soundtrack. Um, you, I can't tell you with certainty what it was that was doing. I don't know if it was an organ, um, might've been guitar. Like I, I can't quite, I couldn't quite put my finger on what it was. Um, but we see it get carried into the verse, um, before the band comes in with the just really big death core noises. It was a filtered guitar. Oh, was it? Okay. Yeah. So basically it's just a, uh, a, a recording trick where they mess with the frequency mm-hmm. of what's being played. That way it kind of gives it that almost like a, a like cone megaphone kind of sound to it. Oh, that's cool. Okay. So that, that makes sense. Yeah, basically like it's it spikes the mids on the EQ on it okay. and rolls off the low ends and kind of gives it that honky, uh, a- empty, spooky kind of sound to it. And then like usually they'll throw some sort of modulation on it Okay, just to kind of amp up the spooky. No, I, I, I can appreciate that. And that's actually kind of cool that they were able to actually kind be able to make that happen. And it's, it's, it's an easy thing to do. I mm-hmm. think it was a good, I think it was definitely a, a smart addition for the song. Yeah, no, without a doubt. Um, there's spots in the songs that gave me really strong 2007 era deathcore vibes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but even with that is this is where the, the record's starting to feel stagnant. Um, it's just not a lot of new things being brought in on this one. Um, yeah. Lyrically though, I thought it was pretty, um, pretty impressive. Yeah, th- this song um, is kind of like what started making me feel like those old deathcore val- vibes. Mm. And from here, the record honestly feels like it would be like a, an early Chelsea Grin record. I can with see exception that. of of having uh, Scott Lewis on vocals instead of 
uh, what's his name? Alex Kohler. Yeah, that. Yeah. Which would be better any day because, honestly, I'm not a fan of Alex's vocals. I hit and miss with Alex, to be completely honest. Uh, it, it really depends on the era. Um, like, if we're looking at Evolve and um, Ashes to Ashes era, I actually really liked how Alex sounded. But like, early, early Chelsea Grin is very... Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, exactly, and I'm with you there. Like, Evolve and Ashes to Ashes, like, I was a fan of those records. Mm-hmm. But I feel like, especially with, like, how they have Tom Barber now, I feel like those records would have been better yeah. with, and with it, him on them. Now, quick question, completely sidetracking for just for a second. How would you feel if the band did out, outright come out and say that they were going to re-record those records with Tom Barber? I'd be down for it. It'd I, be kind of. Yeah, quite quite frankly, like I'm always interested to see, especially when a, a new vocalist, we're really going off on a side tangent at this point, when a new vocalist becomes a part of a band, with, with metal, it's, it's a little bit easier because you can tailor your sound to still fit while... Mm-hmm. Also, uh, moving on, like take Will Ramos and, and uh, uh, Lorna Shore, for yeah. example. Um, or uh, I, I'm blanking on his name, but the new singer of Sign of the Swarm after CJ had left. Oh, and, yeah. And like, so they can tailor their sound and still bring a unique aspect to the band, but like ultimately it's not going to really be that big of a hiccup. Mm-hmm. But like, if you're adding on a new vocalist as a band, like Three Days Grace. Uh, where they brought in some guy who sounds completely different, or right. uh, Bad Wolves, who's bringing in some guy who sounds completely different. Mm-hmm. I just feel like it really does a disservice to the band that you keep the name but completely change up the sound drastically when oftentimes the vocals are what is a huge hinging point for a casual listener. Yeah, and that, I can I can agree with that. And yeah, the the three days grace vocalist change was a little weird, but um, but just to bring us back on track. Yeah. Let's go ahead and jump into curse. How you feeling on this one? So this one, funny enough, this actually felt more like a metalcore song than a deathcore song. Um, it's It does bring the crazy drop tune chugs from deathcore and the eerie sounds that black metal does, but it doesn't really feel like either of those two. It feels a little bit more mid-tempo um, and kind of mid-tone um, as opposed to the really low and just really... Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it j- this song feels really disconnected from the rest of the record. Yeah. Um, Again, it- I like the instrumentals on it. I think it represents previous albums fairly well. Mm-hmm. Um, the lyrical content on this one honestly feels like it would be a Jared Dines or Jared Alonji uh, parody <laughs> song. <laughs> like the opening lyrics, I have death tattooed on my soul. Yeah. Come on, man. Like re- reigning Lord of Edge just... <sighs> Yeah, not not really too much to say on this one. Um, so next up, we do have Carry Us Away. Hit me with it, dude. This song, according to Lewis, was almost a title track uh, with a different title, which is called What We Take to the Grave. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also states that it's one of those songs where you don't want to write. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm quoting. Uh, quote, it's one of those songs where you don't want to write the same thing over and over, but you do want to give the fans what they expect, end quote. I do really like the st- the song and understand where they f- why they felt the way that they did on it. And as somebody who's not a diehard Carnifex fan, I'm I'm glad that they didn't take this approach for the whole album mm-hmm. because I feel like it allows the band to be a little bit more expressive, express expressive. Wow, I cannot speak. Be a little bit more expressive with themselves mm-hmm. uh, and just overall like uh, the music allows to flourish a little bit and it's not just trying to recreate the old Carnifex stuff for the fans. Yeah. That being said, I feel like this entire record really does, with exception of a few songs, does write the same song over and over, 
where it's just it's lyrically all the same it still follows the same deathcore tropes and it just doesn't really break out of that mold too much yeah and i I have to agree with that um this song we definitely uh return to what we become accustomed to with listening to carnifex uh but the cool thing about this one is compared to the other songs is the guitar riffing brings a much groovier sound than mm-hmm. what we've seen, but there's that very subtle sprinkle of thrash mixed in. And I think that just by itself really adds a little bit of weight that makes me want to return to this song. But it just is unfortunate that I had to go and deep dive into the song in order to find that mixed in with everything else. Yeah, they, they, inter- they reintroduce more melodic elements, kind of like that they did on their mm-hmm. older stuff. Um, which is kind of like why they went ahead and included this song in here just for like older fans and stuff like that, just who are fans of their original material. Right. That way they have something to hold on to in this record as well, which yeah. I, I don't think is a bad motive and a bad idea for really any band, mm-hmm. uh, especially if you're changing up your sound. I, I feel like you should have at least something that has some semblance of what previous fans were holding on to, yeah. just so you have something like that. Um, like for example, Trivium on the their latest record, What the Dead Men Say, um, the Defiant was very akin to like Ascendancy mm-hmm. and and that kind of era record with the kind of like the same guitar writing tropes and the same soaring uh, choruses. Yeah. And while it personally wasn't a favorite of mine on the record, it was a fan favorite because of how many people love Ascendancy. Yeah. Uh, j- just using that as an example, so I feel like this is a good one to include on the record, and it doesn't feel out of place whatsoever. And if it were the title, tr- I feel like it's a good thing it's not the title track. Yeah. Because then th- I feel like at that point that would be gratuitous. Mm-hmm. But I feel like it's a solid addition to the album and, and, and should remain as where it sits. Yeah. No, I agree with that. Um, I don't really have anything else to say on that one. So up next, we do have the song Talk to the Dead. And now we're really back to your regularly scheduled program of Carnifex. <laughs> um, we get the tremolo picking. We get the fast double bass kicks, breakdowns. Um, Scott doing some more of the vocal acrobatics. Um, the dissonance added during the breakdown adds some additional weight to the song that we really hadn't seen that much up to this point. Um, so... You, you know, really, it's it just added that little bit of extra just to keep this song from completely blending. Um, I just, you know, I got to give it a little bit of credit where it's at. Hit me with what you're thinking. Yeah, so according to Lewis, this song is about his feelings at the start of the pandemic. Um, having toured for really most of every year since 2006 he was feeling sort of an identity crisis and the song mm-hmm. is what was his outlet for it okay um just kind of like okay well who am i am i broke because of my bad decisions over the past x amount of years right so i mean touring every day all day for 15 years for the most part with exception to like some breaks to record in between like that's not a small feat. Like that, no. that, that is taxing on a person and to have all of that ripped away. Like I, I can understand where a lot of his insecurities and a lot of his issues came from. Um, and so it, it's definitely felt in this song. Uh, the breakdowns are super sick on this one and the riffage in the post chorus is gnarly. Yeah, no, it's, it's a solid one. Uh, then from there we move into the song January nights, which is going to be the uh, only instrumental track on the album. Uh, it's honestly kind of a nice break. It's a it's a amazing. It's mostly guitar with no distortion, and it's backed 
with some really slow violins. Um, we do get some drums coming in, but it's just kind of chilling. Um, Distortion comes back at roughly the three-minute mark, but it's not the same heavy. It's more akin to something that you may hear from like the Devil Wears Prada or even a little it's bit August Burns Red. Like, like in terms of a metal song being a ballad, mm-hmm. I feel it feels very ballady in yeah. that regard. Um, this was written by the guitarist Corey and just really is kind of just an emotional piece for him expressing his outlet in that regard mm-hmm. um, with his just his state of being um, due to him being out of work. Uh, back in January of 2021, he went through a divorce and lost his house Oh wow! Uh, just as a result of not being really able to do anything and and just yeah he he was having a really rough time unfortunately and and so this is the piece that came out of that and i feel like that knowing that behind it adds a little bit more weight to it and it's a good it's a really good break in the middle of the album here because this is what track seven at this point uh yeah that sounds about right yeah so being at track seven like it breaks up the album nicely you have your first half um, your second half is going to be smaller if you're not including the uh, the re-recordings, mm-hmm. but otherwise, like it's a perfect halfway point, including yeah. those in there. I think this is my favorite song on the record. Really? Mm-hmm. It, it's something. Something about this song is the when I was deep diving in the first listen to the record is everything kind of blended together and I kind of spaced out and so i don't think i caught it initially but when i was going back through it and i was actually looking at the lyrics before i actually went and dug did the deep dive just to kind of see what we were looking at lyrically and pull up january nights and oh january nights is an instrument i was like okay this is this should be pretty heavy thinking um i can't remember the name of the song but off of this is exile by Whitechapel. oh legions Mm-hmm. So I was sitting there and I was like, okay, it's probably going to be something like that, but it's going to definitely have the spooky vibes. I start this and I was like, this is completely not what I expected. And I think because it wasn't what I expected, I think is just enough to really add that. Like, yeah, that's my favorite one. Fair enough. Yeah, no, I, um, this one feels akin to, uh, Excuse me. Uh, this one feels akin to um, there's a, a post rock band called uh, If These Trees Could Talk. Okay. And they're kind of like a, a post metal instrumental, very clean into heavy distortion kind of stuff. Okay. They're really cool. They're great background music. I use it to, I, I throw it on like if I'm uh, needing to like study something where I have to read a lot. Okay. Um, yeah, really cool. Highly recommend the band. But th- th- this kind of gave me those vibes. It wasn't quite as math rocky as they can get, but just kind of like the overall build of the song and, mm-hmm. and just kind of had that almost ethereal vibe to it. I really liked it. And then it blends straight into the song Cemetery Wander. This doesn't allow you any time to no, breathe. No, it this doesn't. One just like it just, the the it. drums kick in and you're just in. Mm-hmm. This really, this one, Scott comes back in. Like he's got something important to say, and the band is just like. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna back him up. Like it, he he's screaming with such a ferocity where it's like there there's a weight to what he's or it feels like there's a weight to what he's saying, and it sounds like it's something that's extremely important. Yeah, so th- this is easily the most blackened song on the record. Yeah, um, it's super dark, super heavy, and I love it. Uh, I learned in the Apple Music interview that he that Scott had done. Uh, he used to work in a mortuary. And this song is detailing the memories that he had from that time. Um, so the, the the song details a series of gruesome funerals and how Lewis felt and 
honestly, my only complaint with this song is just the phrasing on some of the lyrics. It mm-hmm. feels rushed syllabically, and the phrases don't really flow together super well. Like yeah. he, he could have changed changed up some of the phrasing on the words just so it fit better musically with it. Yeah. But overall, like while the song is talking about death, I feel like it changes it up in such a way where it's a healthy, even though a lot of the other songs talk about death, this one really adds some weight to it. Mm -hmm. And it kind of, learning that about him also helped kind of just understand him a little bit better and how his songwriting is. Yeah. Because, I mean, you work in a mortuary, you write all these songs, like obviously, it's, it's obvious that you have some sort of infatuation with death. Yeah. And I feel like this helped me understand him a little bit better. Mm-hmm. And I think not only just having the that weight of just kind of knowing that's th- that about his past, but I feel like having a different perspective for death in this one. So where all the other songs is, we've been seeing more of a kind of Scott almost asking for death and kind of like being like, I'm like embracing it kind Mm -hmm. of like that is we're seeing him on the outside, seeing death outside of just himself. Yeah. And I think that different perspective really gives this just that much stronger of an identity and that much separate of an identity from everything else that we've seen up to this point on the record. Yeah, actually, I think that's that, that's a really great way to put it. Mm-hmm. Um, that definitely encapsulates how I feel with that. Um, then we go back to him revolving around death with Countess of Perpetual Torment. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's death related to a countess. Yeah, so the, <laughs> this song is really just the anthropomorphizing death and Lewis's infatuation with her as a mistress. Mm-hmm. Um, we get a neat solo in this one. I really like it a lot. Yeah. But lyrically, it's Edgelord Supreme, and it's best for me to not pay attention to lyrics on this one. Yeah. No, I can agree with that. This Honestly, the composition of this literally feels like 2007 Deathcore. I mean, if you listen to the mm-hmm. riff at the beginning, especially that break we get in that early, um, again, just super old school Deathcore vibes. Um, the element present in the song that really got my attention was it sounded like a choir in the background, mm-hmm. and it was like a, a, a lower register choir so it's where um definitely gives like those early chelsea grand vibes yeah and so like where and the lorna shore ep that we had done now i think a couple weeks ago is you hear choirs in i believe two of the three songs Mm -hmm. but it's a much higher like higher register um where this one is a lot lower so it still adds that really eerie vibe but it's a different kind of eerie that it's almost unsettling because mm-hmm. of just that lower pitch. And I think that kind of helps it fit it in with the the song a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we go ahead and jump into the cover on the album, Dead Bodies Everywhere. So the, uh, the song, as Matt mentioned originally, was originally done by Korn off of their 1996 album, Follow the Leader. Uh, Matt, how'd you feel about this cover? So um, to make sure to have a good frame of reference, I listened to the original, and it's pretty par for the course for corn, like yeah, especially no, it's, it's old corn. <laughs> it, it's corn through and through. Carn effects. I want. I really wish I could have sat in the room when they decided they were going to do this cover because they just get into it. Like the the drumming in this one is completely different, and where. 
the verses in the corn song was a little bit more of a spoken word, but like a, a, a soft, clean, in, in almost the, like a soft fry vocal. It's that standard uh, Jonathan Davis it, exactly. style and, for old Jonathan Davis. And then Carnifex goes, and they're like, no, 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 no. We're not going to do that. We're just going to go, and we're just going to blast, and we're just, we're having at it. Yeah. And it was, I'd say they didn't do too bad. Yeah, uh, yeah, so... For this one here, like it definitely feels like this was done in the Carnifex way, but it still kept the likeness of the original song, mm-hmm. it, like to the point where I recognized it mm-hmm. just right off the bat. Um, I'm not really a fan of the original song. It's uh, old corns hit and miss for me. Like sometimes I can really get behind it. Th- this song always just felt like it missed the mark vocally for me. Yeah. Um, from Jonathan Davis, but I feel like this cover definitely exemplifies how we feel about covers here on the podcast. Yeah. Like it, it it hits a recognizable song and does it justice. Like, I don't feel like this is a bad cover at all. Mm -hmm. Um, it keeps the likeness of the song, but changes it. So it's very obviously Carnifex that did this. Um, and I, and I feel like it just managed to stay true to the meaning behind the song and it still stays true in frame of reference for the yeah. entire thing. Uh, similar to let me love you that, uh, the love and death record, uh, put out for us. And like, I feel like that was the bar. Mm-hmm. I don't really like this song as much, but I feel like in terms of a cover, this one definitely hits that bar. Yeah. And I, I the only thing is, you know, kind of, as you bring that up is the, let me love you cover by love and death was, I want to say that because the original song is still, it's just such a good song by itself, Mm -hmm. even before you go and do add any of the metal, um, the metal vocals. Like we see, um, head did vocals on it. Lacey Sturm was a feature on it. And then Jr with love and death is, and I actually have been listening to that cover quite a bit recently. And just remembering how good that cover is, is, because Dead Bodies Everywhere just isn't that strong of a song originally, is it doesn't, you know, it, it's, I can't quite put it really in the same plane as, um, you know, as that Let Me Love You record, but I, or the Let Me Love You cover, but I do see what you mean in regards to kind of what, where you're kind of sitting with, um, again, staying true to the original, but bringing in the, the flavors of the, the band covering it. Uh, another cover that we've talked about a little bit on the podcast was when Shadow of Intent covered Laid to Rest, mm-hmm. um, is that's another prime example absolutely uh then following the cover of dead bodies everywhere we uh, jump into the second to last news song cold dead summer um yeah with this one there's nothing really special for me to say that hasn't already been said it's morbid lyrics heavy instrumentals um per the apple music interview this one was basically detailing lewis's feelings about seeing the memories of warp tour three years ago uh, at the time of writing the song mm-hmm. while being trapped inside unable to tour and so like we, we see that theme coming up a lot yeah in his personal uh, take on these songs and otherwise it's just another deathy song about death and death it feels uninspired yeah uh, honestly um, like this one could fall off the record and i'd probably enjoy it a yeah. little bit more like uh, honestly roughly a minute into the song i just lost interest it yep. just feels so much like what we've heard throughout the record and just doesn't feel like it's trying to be different in any way um it's it's just a weak addition to the Yeah, I, I feel like this would have been a good time to like really show off something experimental mm-hmm. before bringing it home with the final track, which uh, the final track is going to be Alive for the Last Time. Uh, Matt, why don't you go ahead and start us off on this one? There were a few, few, there were a few parts of this song 
that made me think of Power Shifter by Fear Factory. And I think it was a combination of the drumming with the riffage is it sounded a lot like the the main opening riff. Um, and it, it really just almost as if Power Shifter was pulled apart and threw some deathcore stuff um, and then just kind of throw on that little bit of black metal influence. And that's pretty much this song. So I'm going to read you the exact uh, quote from the Apple Music interview that uh -oh. Scott did. So, uh, quote, this was one of the last songs we wrote, and I think it opens the door for what might be next. One of our major influences that we've embraced peripherally is Fear Factory. And I think <laughs> that you hear that influence on the song probably more than any other song we've written. It's got more syncopation, kind of like Meshuggah, but not as technical or with weird tunings. We wanted to leave the door open for the next record. I think it could be a cool place to go. <laughs> so I hate you, how on the nose yeah, you I hit was. that on the nose so like good on you for no noticing that yeah but th I mean, this one it, it was cool I feel like it was a good experimental track and I don't mm -hmm. feel like it ended the record poorly no um, and the breakdown in this one is so old school deathcore yeah, it and it's nice to see that they were bringing some of that old school deathcore in um, because their first record again was released in 2007 so these guys have been around for a while they were they came out about the same time as the other really big players mm -hmm. in the early deathcore. Again, the yeah. Suicide Silences, the White Chapels, the uh, Chelsea Grins. Um, and it's nice to see them kind of bringing that through into the, the modern day just to kind of keep that alive. Absolutely. Uh, and, and finally, the, the final three tracks on the record are uh, Collaborating collaborating Like Killers, My Heart in Atrophy, and Slit Wrist, Slit Wrist Savior. Um, all of these are re-recording of old tracks from that first record uh, in their formative years. It just updated overall in recording quality and uh, technology mm -hmm. and quality of performance as the members have grown as a band. And I think it's a good added bonus for the Avid Carnifex listener. I am never sad if a band re-records material. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, for example, Trivium re-recorded their uh, song off of their first album, uh, the song called Pillar of Snakes. Okay. But with... Uh, Matt's updated singing style and Alex bent on drums and it just I, I already loved the original song off of Ember to Inferno but the new version honestly became my favorite because it was just the ferocity and the sheer momentum behind it mm -hmm. were unmatched to anything yeah. that they had put out on Ember to Inferno and I feel like the, this is a good example that like artists can definitely do that I mean we saw we did the review on August Burns record red, mm -hmm. red record where they re-recorded the entire record like it I feel like is a good not necessarily unexplored but less explored space for bands to do right especially as times and things get updated and better like mm -hmm sometimes the things that hold people back from exploring such amazing parts of a band's discography is the recording quality. Cause I know that's always been a huge uh, part for me is that if it doesn't have a solid recording quality, it usually has a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth, which really hurts me as a fan of punk. And, <laughs> <laughs> and so I feel like this yeah. is a, a good uh, thing for bands to do. So people mm -hmm. can still re-explore and reignite that same uh, fire and flame that they had for those old, that, that old uh, mm -hmm. material. 
and it is, and kind of in a similar vein, the the divorce Prada unfortunately hasn't done anything like that up to this point. Uh, but it's also part of the reason I like the like live albums from bands. Mm-hmm. So like with the divorce Prada, and they did the Dead and Alive live CD and DVD where it was on the Dead Throne tour. So we got to see, um, unfortunately, at this point, the beginnings of the deterioration of Mike Ranica's voice. But you hear him using the Dead Throne vocal style, where it's the kind of alternating between the the screaming and the yelling, mm-hmm. or, or the the kind of shouting uh, style that he's done. But like you hear um, Sassafras off of with Roots Above and Branches Below, um, Dogs Can Grow Beards All Over off of their first record, which was released back in two thousand six, which is absurd. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, hey, John, what's your name again? Off of Plagues, which was 2007. So just great. hearing hearing them kind of play those older songs, but having the um, that new style kind of brought in is kind of nice to see. Um, and it, 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 it freshens things up, and it, exactly. it just gives you another reason to listen to the song again in mm-hmm. whatever format you feel is best. Yeah, no, and and as you said, is you know going being able to go back and. Here, here, the growth in the band is just that little extra, really sugar on top, um, and it's just, it just kind of adds that little bit. Um, the cool thing about these ones is how much that Scott Lewis stayed loyal to the vocal performances on these three Graveside Edition mm-hmm. songs, um, and the the other thing that's really good about these is and especially listening to um you go back to somatic defilement by Whitechapel. um this is exile really didn't have it as much uh, but just a lot of the early deathcore records um i believe it was the first suicide silence is another really good example mm-hmm. of it but you listen to them and it's everything is just turned to 11 so when people say like, dude, me- like metal music is just a wall of sound. Like I go back and especially after hearing a lot of these bands hone in on their sound, and then you go back to these old records and it's just, you know, it, you're just bombarded with mm-hmm. just noise, really. And it's, it's nice to see that these guys were able to over the years find just better engineers, better production, and everything just to clean everything up and. I could actually hear guitar tones. Yeah. I could actually hear bass tones, which <laughs> who does that anymore? Yeah, well, what is bass? <laughs> what is bass? <laughs> Slap it up ass. But uh, that is going to be what does it today for our uh, review on Graveside Confessions by Carnifex. Now here on the podcast, what we like to do is give a breakdown on our rating on the album on a scale of one to eight tentacles. Uh, Matt, where you at on this one? This one's middle of the road. Um, I almost pushed it to a three, but after the deeper dive, the record showed me that it was better than a three. Um, so I'm giving it a four out of eight. Um, album just blends together a bit too much if you're not giving it full attention, um, which I believe is just enough to really just lose points, in my opinion. Um, what about you? Yeah, I'm, I'm right there on the same. I'm, I'm at a four out of eight. Um, it wasn't a bad record. It wasn't a great record. Like It's, it's definitely worth a listen to if Deathcore mm-hmm. is your thing. But it doesn't really have a lot that stands out on this record so mm-hmm. much that makes me want to continue returning to it. Yeah, um, that's completely understandable. Yeah, the only glaring faults really are the lyrics on this one. Like musically, it's fine. Vocally, it's fine. The lyrics were really rough for me uh, yeah. personally, and just yeah, it, it was just it was good. 
That's it. <laughs> um, so that's our breakdown of Carnifex's Graveside Confessions record. Um, again, that was released on September 3rd of 2021, so definitely a recent release. Um, now what we like to do is uh, the hidden track, where we talk about something in the realm of music, maybe not related to this record specifically, but something going on in the music world. Um, Gabe, why don't you tell me what your hidden track is? Yeah, so actually um, today, as of recording this, the uh, band... I the breather uh they released their second single uh since they have reformed uh so either breather is the kind of brainchild of uh, sean span mm-hmm. and uh so he's got a, a whole new lineup behind him that's going on uh that they're going to be releasing an album i believe towards the end of the year oh cool i, I could okay. be wrong on that um sean's a homie though uh it sounds super solid it's super sick the it's the band that nick nocturnal joined Oh, that's right. And okay. Yeah. So it, it's it's super heavy. It's super dope, and I can't wait to hear more from them. I was always a big Eye the Breather fan before they went on hiatus, and uh, it really, it's just Sean with a new lineup now. But okay. I'm okay with that because it sounds phenomenal, and I'm I'm can't wait for more. Uh, oh, that's so I, awesome. I definitely uh, recommend checking that out. What's the name of the song? Uh, Brain Sick, and Sick is spelled S I C. Okay. Yeah, I'll have to take a look at that once um, you know, once we're off the uh, off the air. Um this one actually is I had a chance to um uh, my roommate actually recommended this. Um so August 20th of 2021, the band Bone Hunter released their newest record and the title of it's Dark Blood Reincarnation System. Um, I had the opportunity to only listen through it about that once. Sounds so Edgelord Supreme. <laughs> so so here's what here's what's wild. So um so again, because I had only recently been informed of this record, and I just was like, yeah, let's give it a shot. Um, regarding to sound is very unique compared to what I typically listen to. This is a blackened thrash punk band. Okay. Um, so the best way to describe it is if you take pretty much punk instrumentals, um, dabble in some thrash which hot take punk is or thrash is the child of punk and you can't tell me otherwise nope not um, you're not wrong yeah <laughs> and then um like the vocals as well as a, an occasional riff or two are really where the black metal kind of comes in um a really neat combination of things i know when my roommate had told me about this genre, the style i'm like that seems like three things that don't make sense but if you think about it Thrash metal came from punk, and black metal came from thrash, so it all is somehow tied together. Yeah, that's kind of you said the band was called Bone Hunter. Bone Hunter, and it's all one word. Okay. Um, and uh, again, haven't really had a chance to do a deep dive, uh, but based on what I've heard thus far, is I'd give it a four out of eight. Um, it's really got me curious because I heard enough that I was like, you know, I I kind of was like, okay, this is cool. It's, again, something different that I'm not typically used to. So I, I definitely want to do a little bit of a deep dive and maybe look into some of their older material, depending on how um, how I really end up liking this record. Yeah, for sure. Uh, one other thing I do want to mention, um, I checked out the new Halsey record. Uh, oh, I actually yeah. thought it was really cool. So th- it was produced by uh, Trent Reznor. Uh, no which way. Which piqued my interest because I'm a really big Nine Inch Nails fan. That's fair. And, um, yeah, it, it's... It's an interesting record for sure. Like I, I liked it a lot. Mm-hmm. I definitely plan on returning to it when you know we don't have two freaking albums coming out every <laughs> two two episodes coming out every week, and me having to just cram for these while adjusting to a new sleep schedule for a job that's turning my life upside down. But uh, <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's super cool. Um, I I dig it. Uh, Kanye West releasing an album too. I 
I'm not a Kanye West fan, so I don't really care about it. I, but that that that's there, so check it out if you I, like. I it. guess Kanye <laughs> released a new record. That's news. Um, so that's that's cool. I guess. I guess apparently Drake dropped a new record late recently, and everybody's been losing their marbles about it. I've seen a couple memes on the internet about it. I I I did hear about that. I haven't listened to it. Yeah, it's um. Drake is nothing to lose your marbles at. He's not a good artist. I don't understand what people see in him. Like, the hot uh, <laughs> like, it can only mean one thing. I will fight you right here. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's just he's one of those that like it's mediocre for mediocre sake, and I don't understand how anybody can think that he's so great. I don't know. You're you're definitely asking the wrong. Yeah, person, yeah. Well, why are we even talking? About this? this is the wrong podcast for it. Anyway, uh, we appreciate you guys taking the time to listen to us. You can find us on iTunes, on Spotify, on uh, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else that you listen. There, if you could give us a like, rate, subscribe, comment, all that jazz, we would really really appreciate that as it helps us keep doing what we're doing here. Uh, we can also find us on a variety of social medias. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Just kidding. We're not on Twitter. I'm, I'm tired to say this. Uh, we're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We're on uh, TikTok. And we are on uh, YouTube. So go ahead. Give us a give us a check out on those. And uh, maybe a little bit of follow, a little bit of love. We appreciate that. And we will see you later. Catch you in the next one. Oh,